Hello, this is Brandon Walsh representing Compass from North Lake Tahoe and Truckee, and you're listening to The Real Talk Podcast. And we're back. I love to say that this has been a treat so far. Today, I have my industry colleague and friend, Brandon Walsh from Lake Tahoe, Nevada and California, North Lake Tahoe on the Real Talk podcast. Brandon moved to the Tahoe area in 2009 to join the Squall Valley Ski Patrol. What a badass. For those that do not know what a ski patrol is, they don't teach kids on the magic carpet and how to ski. They're the badasses. They're the SWAT team of the mountain. They go and do avi control. They go up to the mountains before the lifts open to the public to make sure that the safety of the mountain is good enough, controlled enough to maximum human extent for the public to ride on. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit, but Brandon took his talents to real estate in 2014 and joined the family owned Tahoe Real Estate Group. Then in 2018, he became part of the founding team of Compass Tahoe. Having sold more than $80 million, or probably more than that, $80 million plus on real estate to date. Prior to moving into real estate, Brandon obtained his degree from the School of Business and Engineering from Cal Poly San Luis, I'm gonna butcher this, Obispo. You got it. Obispo, there you go. Then opened the restaurant in his hometown in Danville, California, where he is currently, and also has been, a managing partner for seven years plus, and then to date. We'll talk a little bit more about that as well. Did you know Lake Tahoe is over two to three million years old? It's considered an ancient lake and is counted among the 20 oldest lakes in the world. Tahoe's clarity of its lake, that's what they're known for in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Tahoe's clarity has impressed visitors since the time Mark Twain in the 1880s visited. Historical accounts indicate that water may have been as clear as 120 feet during that time. Please follow Brandon on Instagram at Brandon Walsh underscore Tahoe. I'm going to put that in the show notes for you, along with his websites as well. And Brandon, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I'm excited. We're here in sunny San Diego. Cool, breezy, 70s. Can't ask for more. It's it's pretty ideal. It's perfect weather. That's right. So I want to go into our first section here. My favorite section It's called the one word answers. So please, first word, Squall Valley Ski Patrol. Passion. Love it. The restaurant business. Grind. Lake Tahoe. Heaven. Real estate property insurance. Challenging. Real estate reality television. Useless. <laughs> NAR commission lawsuit. Ironic. TikTok, Instagram, and social media. Necessary. A, a kind of a, a somber one, but David Young. Fierce. Real estate taxes. Necessary. Lake Tahoe zoning laws. Ever-changing. Affordable housing. Difficult, but challenging. Multifamily housing. Indifferent. Airbnbs? Not a fan. Kind of want to go through a couple of the ones. I mean, they'll take forever if we got one through sure. every single one. Uh, but you did you did say, uh, you know, it's the, my favorite, the Squall Valley Ski Patrol Passion. Just tell me a little bit about this journey of yours. Yeah, so um, it's something I moved to, uh, to back to the mountains. After college, I, I spent some time in Whistler, British Columbia. Okay. Went home. As one, would, one should do. One should do. Yeah. Uh, tried to open a family. I, I went home and opened a family business. Um, ran that for six and a half years and quickly realized my heart belonged back in the mountains. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so moved to the mountains and tried to make it legitimate by to my parents by saying I'm doing something professional and joining the ski patrol. 
Uh, but beyond that, no, it's something that I've always loved. It's, it's uh, kind of at the core of me is helping people. Um, and it's a, it's a good way to exercise that while also fulfilling my adrenaline needs, if you will. Sure. Um, and so it's a, such a dynamic job. I think you, that was a, a really nice introduction you gave about kind of what we do. Yeah, the people don't know, right? Yeah. They think you just, you know, say, hey, you go can't duck the ropes. Like, yeah, it's yeah. Not it's, that. it's a lot more than that. Yeah. Don't go too fast on the catwalk. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially at a Class A resort like uh, at Palisades, formerly known as Squaw. Uh, we do a lot of avalanche control. We are up in the morning. Um, we're, there's a lot of exposure and a lot of risk. Um, and a lot of explosives. A lot of explosives, yep. Um, but it's high intensity. It's high focus. Um, it's has more reward than anything I've done in my adult life mm -hmm. um, when you're able to help people um, and also have true amount of fun doing it um, in addition to the camaraderie the, the brotherhood and, and the sisterhood with my coworkers, it's uh it's unparalleled to anything that i think um, a lot of adults can achieve and in, in, in your older life if that makes sense you know quick we, question before yeah. we pivot into real estate have you been involved in an avalanche unfortunately i have yeah uh it's part of the hazard that we take mm -hmm. Uh, I've been very fortunate not to be critically or uh, drastically injured, but I wow. have uh, been in a couple avalanches and set off uh, hundreds, which yeah. is part of my job of requirement. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's pretty frightening. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. The, the backcountry people just look at Instagram and be like, oh, it looks so easy. It looks it's beautiful. But the, in actuality, it's a huge risk to ride the open face bowls and ride yeah. off cornices and yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's you, you definitely have to know what you're getting into, uh, read the signs and, and the warnings. And, you know, the, the, the biggest factor is the human factor. Sure. You know, the science is pretty, it's pretty easy to read. It's just acknowledging that there's a risk there and how to respond to it. Okay. Yeah. I really like ski towns. And one of the, one of my most favorite shows to date is Yellowstone. Now, Yellowstone is not based in a ski town. They talk about Big Sky, yeah, sure, maybe a little bit. They talk about Bozeman maybe a little bit, but there's this anger, a different type of anger in real estate that's different from where we are in the city. Where we are in the city, it's rent-stabilized housing, the older generation versus the newer generation, and not enough inventory for the newer generation because the older generation have stabilized homes and there's inflated rents because of that or low inventory because of that. In ski towns, it's kind of like the show Yellowstone, mm -hmm. where it seems like there's rich money coming from LA or New York or Chicago, wherever, Right. and, and they want to build resorts. And then they want, they inflate the property values that way. You have people airbnb like you said. And there's this tension and anger in small ski towns that I see, that I've been to you know, all, over, all, all across America, where the locals that service the mountains, right? We're talking the restaurant workers, the waiters, the lifties, uh, ski patrol, yep. you know, every, everyone that services and lives there locally are, are starting to find a very hard time finding housing to even service these mountains. So there's a worker shortage because of that, or there's a tension uh, between the local public versus Air, the Airbnb uh, lobbyists right. in the government. So you know, tell me about the difficulty of affordable housing and multifamily housing. And obviously, you know, your thoughts on Airbnb, why you're not very much of a fan of it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, um, I'll try and abbreviate this as much as I can because we could spend hours sure. talking just it's, on this. It's a huge problem. Huge, right? huge problem. Um, I don't think I, I, you very eloquently, I think, describe the difference between the cities and what we're seeing in, in mountain towns per, per se. Um, 
you touched on a few different points there. You know, first is the major resorts. And in Tahoe, what we see, I can speak to Tahoe specifically, yeah. uh, uh, being there 15 years, is <clears throat> the county, in my opinion, didn't really have the foresight to uh, hold the major resorts liable and accountable for producing workforce housing. Affordable housing. Uh, for, for at least for their employees, employees, employee housing, right? And yeah. they're one of the largest, um, you know, providers of work and in industry yeah. for the greater Tahoe area. And there's zero accountability for them to have housing for their employees. And we're starting to see that kind of bite them in, in the you know what uh, as time goes on. Um, they are trying to make corrections. It's unfortunate that they didn't have that foresight ahead of time because now the land's too expensive. It's almost too late. That's exactly right. Yeah. And uh, California, um, I don't really know much about New York, but I, I'd imagine it's similar. There's so many red tape and bureaucratic loopholes that you have to go through or navigate for building that the cost sure. of building is is just tremendous. Mm -hmm. and, and couple that on top of being in snow country at 6,200 feet where we have some of the deepest snowpack in North America, you have to build and engineer things. It's, the cost of building is, is very, very high. So for anybody to come in and actually navigate the government and you know build to industry standards, it's next to impossible to, for it to pencil out economically. That's one of the major problems we face. Um, as far as the anger between, uh, if you will, anger between locals and out of town money, you know, it's it's very easy to fall into that trap of. Um, Resentfulness. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's I think it's a very slippery slope. I think it's uh, immature in a lot of ways for people to do that. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, we are a uh, resort industry town, and eighty five percent of my dealings as a realtor are are coming from out of area, and I would say close to ninety percent of that is coming directly from the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And so, if you fail to realize that that is the pipeline and you're angry towards that, it's it's a very delicate balance. Now, as time goes on and Tahoe matures, people are able to work remotely, technology allows them to do things and, and telecommute, if you will, kind of a late 90s word. Um, the landscape of these mountain towns is changing. They are becoming almost sustainable without the tourism. And that's kind of the fine line, I think, where you the, when I talk about the slippery slope of the fine line of navigating the anger, is it real or is it, or is it, Hey, we're in tourist town. We're all tourists. Yeah. Yeah. If that makes sense. It's a double-edged sword. It is a double-edged sword. Very hard to please both parties or <clears throat> ease the resentment. But yeah. then you have, I mean, I have friends that live all over in ski towns. They can't buy a house, right? Correct. And that, I don't know that that is an issue specific to ski towns. I think mm -hmm. we're seeing that all over, all, all over. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe it's that the capitalist in me or the entrepreneur in me is also at the same time as if you move to a mountain town and expect it to afford to buy a house working six months of the year on the hill, maybe <laughs> you were a little off basis yeah, sure, on yeah. what it really takes. That, that's true. Right. Yep. So, Good point. uh, now that is a whole different conversation between livable <laughs> wage versus non-livable wage, but at the end of the day, if you want something, you just have to go get it. And it's it's more difficult now than ever. Yeah, especially since COVID. Especially since skyrocketed. Right? Yeah, and, and it is truly out of touch. Entry-level housing is, yeah. it, it's not a thing anymore. No, I know. 
you know, when it was 10 years ago, it was, you know, an entry level, you could get in for 350, maybe 420,000. Now entry levels, 900. Mm -hmm. And people aren't making double the amount of money. No, (laughs) definitely not. It's it's an issue. Touch on Airbnbs a little bit too, because, you know, in from the people that I know that work and live in resort towns, you know, that's, they think that's also one of their main reasons why their rents are so high is because everybody's Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Very true. Um, I, I'm mixed on this because Mm -hmm. as a realtor, a lot of my clients use that service, they use that service, right? As a member of my community, uh, somebody who owns a home, uh, is married, has a family. Um, I, I'm not a fan of it Mm -hmm. because what happens is in a lot of resort towns, the, the infrastructure was never designed to work at full capacity. And people come, people go, some houses are empty, some houses are full, and everything sort of ebbs and flows. But when every single home is essentially turned into a hotel and it's full all the time, the infrastructure just collapses yeah, on itself. It doesn't work. And that's really the issue. my biggest issue personally. Um, you know, as far as it driving the prices of rents up, it, it certainly does. Right, long-term leases versus short-term leases, right? Long-term leases don't are non-existent. Right, and, and, and people want to live there year-round right. to that work locally. Right. Right, so that's... It, it, it's a snowball effect, yeah. right? Because people need to Airbnb the house to offset their mortgage or their insurance or whatever it is, the, the cost of carrying the house so that they can use it themselves. But that's also driving the price up significantly. It's chicken and the egg. Yeah, yeah. Bit, you know. So, so. so again, this is another double-edged sword that a lot of people just can't win. Right? Seems, yeah, you can't. What, should it, the, do you, would you want the city to crack down on it a little bit more? They What's are. Your stance? They are. They are, and I think that they're doing it really well. And I don't need to bore the audience with all the intricacies. <laughs> the politics. But um, Tahoe is a, is a is a region, really, and so we have different counties, different towns, depending on where you are. It differentiates. But what they're starting to do, and, and I know that they're doing this here in San Diego, is they have an allotment of permits yep, that are available. That. And you have to play by the rules. You're not guaranteed that it's gonna renew every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a step in the right direction. Sure. I think it's gonna calm things down. I think it's gonna make second home buyers really think, can they afford it if they can't offset it? Um, that'll eventually, gradually level prices out. I don't know it'll bring them down. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll slow down the, the, the surge, yeah. if you will. Sure. Um, and we're already seeing a change, and, okay. and I think for the better. Good. Yeah. Good. Now we're going to pivot into uh, kind of short form answers, and this section is more about the audience getting to know who you are as a person. So just tell us, you know, where you're from, where you currently reside, and what brought you to where you are today professionally. Yeah. So uh, born and raised in Northern California, uh, San Francisco Bay Area. Um, parents been in the same house for 50 years so wow. really fortunate that yeah, that's uh, rare these days it's huh? very rare yeah uh and went to school um in uh san luis obispo which is central california mm-hmm. uh as i mentioned earlier left uh college went to whistler for a, a couple years and thought i was going to be a professional skier yeah uh as one should yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. earlier um, kind of took the alternative path and then <laughs> found myself uh Falling into the restaurant business, it was something that I had done um, just to support myself through through college. And my brother approached me and said, hey, I'm opening a restaurant, let's do it together. We don't come from a restaurant family. And uh, we we uh, we did it and we survived. And the education that I received as a managing partner of that for six and a half years is cannot be bought mm, or good, taught. Good. It was uh, 
frontline offensive of everything business that you need to know. Uh, learned very quickly what it was like to manage employees, uh, be responsible shareholders, um, pretty full on. Uh, and an awesome experience, but it broke me at the same time. Oh, I'm sure it's a grind. Well, yeah. There's a reason why most restaurants fail. Yeah, yeah, and I was, I was working 100 hours a week. Yeah. People say they do it. I did it for six years in my late 20s mm-hmm. and uh, decided I needed out. And so I, I headed back to, uh, well, I headed to Tahoe, back to the mountains. And uh, the one of the sayings in, in Tahoe is you come for the winter, you stay for the summer. Sure. And uh, here we are 15 years later. So How hard is it to become a uh, part of the ski patrol of Squaw Valley? Um, it's definitely a coveted position. It's a lot. It's a lot of training, huh? Yeah, it's a lot of training. Um you definitely have to be a proficient skier. Uh, it's not just that, though. It's not just that. No, we, we do everything from uh, medical scenarios. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of heavy things that we see. Yeah. Uh, you know, people get critically injured. I'm sure. Uh, and then the reason, um, you know, I would say there's top three resorts, in my opinion, uh, to be a patroller at would be Squaw, Palisades, excuse me, Having a tough time with that new name change. Yeah, uh, Jackson Hole and Whistler Black Home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we all have the very similar programs. Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, it's difficult, but um, it's it's like anything. If you love it, it, it doesn't feel difficult. Very rewarding. You yeah, know? I'm sure it's exciting. I'm sure. Yeah. All right. And then, uh, if we talked a lot about Tahoe, but if you were to live in another city or state, you had to right on your head today. Where would it be? And why? This is a tough one, Talk. Yeah. Uh, I. Um, as real estate brokers, we are kind of stuck in our market, right? We have yeah. to be, you can't just lift our stuff and move to, you know, Virginia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a long conversation about, about this with my wife because when I when I knew you were going to ask this question. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the older I get, <laughs> I'm 44. Uh, I have, I have a, a beautiful son and wife. Priorities start to shift. Mm-hmm. It's pretty nice being here in San Diego in November wearing a, a t-shirt and uh, it's 70 degrees out. So it's snowing up there, right? I, I could get used to this year round. Um, California is tough to beat for, for all its ups and downs and gripes and ever-changing environment like the rest of the country. I'm, I'm pretty tried and true to California. Okay. Um, Good. It's, I, I don't see myself living outside of California. Good. What's your favorite city or state to visit? Um big country too new york city i think is go. probably the coolest city that's the first one that we've got since new york yeah wow. out, of, out of all the questions we've asked to guess yeah 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 i mean i've been fortunate to travel all over a, a lot of places uh primarily western europe i think new york city is the coolest city in the united states by far there's no city like new york it, it, it it's i've only been once and i was just I remember thinking, why did it take me this long to get to this place? <laughs> Good. Um, and your kids probably like it too. I, I, he's never been, but okay. he's going to go. He's going right. to go. Good. Good. Uh, as a restaurant guy, give, give me your, your current favorite uh, restaurant in Tahoe. So we can plug it in the show notes for the audience. Yeah. So uh, my favorite place to go, I like to celebrate after I close a deal is called Old Range Steakhouse. Okay. Um, it's not necessarily the most culinary amazing mm-hmm. but they do prime rib they do it well okay. they uh, shake a martini and they set it table side in a frosted glass Ooh. classic shrimp cocktail and wow. a butterleaf lettuce with the crushed ice 
It's, way you explained that just now. I'm hungry. Yeah. Is, yeah. The, the way you explained that, that that's, that's, you're a restaurant guy for sure. It's, it's just a classic experience. I'm sold. Take you my know. money. Um, there or if I'm going to go out and, and want a little bit of a culinary, more delicacy and sort of a European flair cafe bistro experience, I really like Moody's Bistro. Moody's Bistro. And okay. Truckee. Okay. If you could uh, go, so the Moody's Bistro is, is that, more of a like an all-time establishment that's been around for a long time or is there another one that's like you know, every ski town i feel like has like this is like the place that has been like for aspen we get the jerome jerome hotel j bar yeah. burger like yeah. you have to go because it's the oldest one it's been there yeah you know forever yeah. is there one like that that's kind of historical to your neighborhood <clears throat> i would say sunnyside uh sunnyside okay. in tahoe city which is a ts restaurant so it's uh same affiliation as like Duke's Canoe Club, mm -hmm. uh, Chemo's. That it's a pretty famous landmark. Okay. Um, particularly in the summertime, um, Tahoe is interesting because unlike an Aspen or a Vale or a Jackson Hole, where for more or less the ski town is also the town, Tahoe is sixteen resorts kind of spread out spread over, all over, right? over an area. Mm -hmm. So. Well, one thing about Tahoe that a lot of people don't realize is a lot of the destination landmarks are actually more summer-based as far as restaurants go. Sure, okay. Um, so I would say Sunnyside and Tahoe City, Garwoods and Carnelian Bay is another pretty, if people have been to Tahoe, they've more than likely stopped by Garwoods and had one of their famous wet booty drinks okay. at some point. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I, I understand I'm the sold. question you're asking. I'm ready, I'm sold. But it's a, it's a little but bit of a it. different. It's yeah. different, yeah, Tahoe is certainly different. Now, this leads me to our next section. It's a new section called questions from special guests. Oh boy. And questions from the, uh, friends of the pod. Okay, And uh, this nervous. What, what you said about comparisons of mountains. So uh, the first question is from none other than the all-time Lane Johnson representing Aspen, Colorado. Oh boy, Lane, All right. What do you got this is in his own words. Uh, here we go. Hey, Brandon. <laughs> How does it feel to live and work at a place that, in comparison to Aspen, Colorado, is considered subpar? JK, JK, I'll rephrase. Where does Tahoe rank among ski resorts in the continental United States? Well, Lane, uh, the, beer, like jab there. Yeah, yeah. the beer certainly doesn't flow like wine and the women don't flock like the salmon to the sands of Capistrano like That's they right. do in Aspen. There you go. Great line. But um, <laughs> subpar. <laughs> oh, oh you, you really God. got under you, huh? No. It's, you. Uh, well, you know, it is subpar. Uh, Tahoe is subpar to the nightlife and glitz and glamour of uh, Aspen. Mm. I would no challenge the belly up or uh... yeah. There's uh, Aspen's tough to compete with. Yeah, for for, for an all inclusive experience. Ski terrain, we it's not even a, Ooh, a discussion. Okay, all yeah. right, boom out of the water. Yeah, yeah Highland uh, Bowl, forget it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> whatever. Cool Highland cool, Bowl. Yeah. Um, no, the the. I mean, if you look at the birthplace of extreme skiing and big mountain skiers it's it's squaw valley yeah um and so i love it it's it's why i chose to have it might be my home mountain yeah. and why i work there yeah there were a couple of movies that are based out of squall a lot yeah i mean it's it's it is the mecca of you know big mountain skiing mm -hmm. um so 
I, what was the question? How does it feel to live and work in a subpar? To ask him? <laughs> he goes, yeah. uh, you, got, you got me. Well, his, his second, his, his rephrase question was, where does Tahoe rank among ski resorts in the continental U.S.? Is what is okay, so I'm going to stick Big with... Big Mountain is Squaw. Yeah, I'm going to stick with uh, Squaw um, as the comparison. Okay. Because Tahoe, it depends on what resort you're talking about. So if you're a buyer and you're the most diehard skier, yeah. Squaw. You want to be For like sure. Squaw. For sure. Not Highlands. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, but Aspen's pretty good. You got yeah. four mountains right there. You got yeah. the X Games. You yeah. got a pretty in A lot of people hate life. the X Games, though. The, the locals hate the S Games. They, they leave. They go to Vail. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Um, but yeah. But no, you're I right, think right. I think if we're talking about, I mean, Tahoe is top two yeah. as a region. Okay. To, behind Colorado. Okay. And I would say above Utah. Okay. That's going to upset a lot of folks. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. If we're talking about Park City, people are going to be mad at you. That's fine. They can be mad. You Canyons, know. Park City, yeah, yeah they, they, they can be mad. Vail yeah. Resorts are they're they're putting a lot of money. They are, and there's a lot of money going. That, that's a whole different conversation. I think skiing is changing for the worse. Uh huh. Because of Epic and Icon. Yeah, and I think that coming circling back to our earlier topic is I think that those companies can get in a lot of trouble for this. Um, they're exploiting the small mountain towns. Sure. You know, and driving people in and making it—it's it, such a fine line, double-edged sword. Yes, yeah. it's bringing in more money, it's bringing in more commerce, it's bringing in more people to your restaurants, bringing in more people to what your your hotel and maybe it's bringing jobs. Uh, the younger generation to learn how to love the ski too. That's true too, because it was dying for a while, yeah. and that's sort of the the, the reciprocal argument, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, back to Lane's question, I would say the top three mountains in North America. Uh, our Whistler Black Home number one. I lived and worked there and skied for three years. Totally I know it very well. Agreed. Um, I would say Squaw is second and Jackson Hole is third. All right, there you go. The Grand Teton Mountains. Yeah. Okay. Uh, guest question number two from none other than my dear friend Tim Rothen from Compass, New York City. <laughs> hey, Brandon. Being that you work and sell in vacation areas, when you say you're busy season and when you are not busy, what do you do to keep yourself busy aside from drinking, smoking, and doing other fun stuff? Well, first of all, I'm not a smoker. I want to clear that right now. Um, the busiest time of year in Tahoe is certainly uh, Memorial Day to Labor Day, both real estate-wise and uh, visitor-wise. I want to do one of those boat parties is kind of tie the boats together at once yeah. and everyone's on the water. Like a flotilla. Is that what it is? Yeah. Flotilla. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. We'll get you out to one next really year. Really cool. We, we do one with Compass every year. Our office gets together. Oh, is that right? There's several of us that have boats and we go out. Yeah. That's... Or we can do it without Compass and have a little bit more fun. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> flotilla. But uh, yeah, it follows a school year. Uh, being in a resort town, mm -hmm. it, it follows uh, the kids' school schedule. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely more visitors to town in the summertime than the winter time. Um, and uh, yeah, that's definitely our busiest time as far as from the real estate when transactions are initiated or uh, or started. So what do you do in during mud season? May? We call it the shoulder seasons yeah. in Tahoe. Um, that's my favorite time of year in Tahoe personally is mid-September to snowfall, oh, yeah. which is kind fall. of mid-November right now. Yeah. Uh, we call it local summer. Mm -hmm. Northern California, you still get beautiful weather. 
Uh, bike parks are open. Bike trails are open. Bike trails are open. Mm -hmm. There's nobody around. Yeah, it's great. So you're you're getting all the benefits of beautiful weather without the crowds. I agree. And foliage is probably beautiful too. It is. It's not that East Coast foliage. It's not. Yeah, yeah. They, but yeah. Uh, so we the, we the get, green pines and the, yeah against the the changing aspen sure. trees. Sure. Yeah, it's aspen pretty, trees. Pretty awesome. Okay, uh, and then the third and final question from our friend of the pod, Levy Meyer from Compass hey. Miami. Levy's actually been on the pod many times. Question, Brandon. I referred you a buyer for Lake Tahoe and you sold him a house in Nevada. Yes. I wasn't expecting that. Can you elaborate for us on the crossover from Tahoe to Nevada and how that works for you as an agent? Yeah. So Lake Tahoe is uh, divided. Half of it's in California, half of it's in Nevada. The interesting thing is uh, there's 72 miles of shoreline. Mm -hmm. The majority of Nevada is not developed. It never will be. It's in a basically a state preserve. National Park. Yeah. Um, so... The inventory on the Nevada side is limited as far as the Tahoe Basin goes. Um, and I do carry my Nevada license, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you for the referral, Levy. We had a great time. All right. More. Good job, Levy. Shout out. Yeah. Um, and uh, <clears throat> it's it's difficult. I, I actually get referred. It's difficult in the sense of me choosing which clients I want to work with if they want to go sure. to Nevada. I believe that agents um, that represent in an area that they don't know entirely are oftentimes doing a disservice, disservice to their clients. 100%. And so I will, I've referred more deals out to Nevada, mm -hmm. even though I carry my license than I've taken. Um, if somebody comes in and it's a, a strong referral, meaning I have a great relationship with that referring partner, I will take that one on no matter what the price point, white glove service, sure. um, and dig in as deep as I need to in order to make sure that I'm giving that client that they're the best representation sure. they can have. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Okay, great. So you know, going into some deep, deeper dive questions, we have a trend on, in social media, and I know you do a lot, and I really like your social, just the, the personality-driven social media, to Thank me, you. is the more favorite, right? It's yeah. what are you about? And it's not just like sold, listed, sold, in contract. It's yeah. very personal. Nobody cares about that stuff, really. It's just like, that's cool, you know, like, who are you flexing on, whatever. Yeah. But for you, it, for someone that's active on social media, I'm sure you would come across some videos as of late of the younger Gen Z generation uh, going back to what we were talking about, about the cost of living, rent, just everything costs a lot more now. The younger generation, even real estate brokers that are struggling, you know, do you think it's always been like that? And it's, it, do you think it's something that they're just maybe too soft? Like, you know, how people get older, it's like, oh, back in my day, life was harder. The cost of living included, you know, of being in our business. Like, how do you think the generation is handling, the younger generation is handling that? Uh, do you think they're just maybe just saying too much on social media also? I think it's all of the above. Yeah. You know, um, I don't I don't think it's one thing necessarily, and this is a great question. Um, it's something I think about often. Mm -hmm. You know, I have, I have a niece who's uh, 24. She's just a couple of years out of college and watching her try to launch, so to speak. Um, it's absolutely harder now, I think, than it was. I'm 44 uh, than it was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, without getting into politics or anything, I, I love that we live in a country where opportunities are endless. Mm -hmm. I, I do believe that no matter how hard they are or ever changing, you can make anything happen if you really want to. That said, um, I think a lot of people are fortunate to get lucky breaks. 
Um, I've had several in my life that have positioned me to where I am. Um, not family money, not a head start per se, but just in the right place at the right time. And I think that I am a firm believer that if you do the work, no matter what it is, um, opportunities, doors start to open. Sure. And you just have to put your head down and grind. Mm -hmm. And sitting around and watching social media and, and, and falling into the blame game or the, the self-pity or directing your anger at what you think or what is responsible for said thing, I think is just wasted energy. Sure. You know, and it's not it's not going to help you. I only ask this question because the trending posts these days are, you know, well, back in our parents' generation, houses were cheaper and mortgage rates were, you know, 2% or 3%. Right. Or even in the Reagan era, yeah, sure, mm -hmm. interest rates were higher than what they were sure. today. But you could have, they would say, and they would exaggerate, but it'd be like, well, my parents bought their house, you know, cost of a bag of blueberries or a sack of potatoes or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, in, 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 I talked to my parents a lot about this. I, I grew up in a family where my dad was a mechanic and my mom ran the books in an, an auto. And they could buy a single family house. They're able to buy a single family house. Right. Right. But a butcher today or a post office worker today probably can't buy a single family not house. In that, not in that same neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah, the, the house that I grew up in, my parents bought for $65,000. It could sell tomorrow for two and a half to three million. Yeah. Right. Where else is, is that going to happen? real estate expansion wise other than california maybe the coasts mm -hmm. the coast cities, right yeah um that said you know you talk to people of my parents generation my parents are in their late 70s and the thing that i hear over and over again is it was a massive stretch for us to make it happen at then at that time so yeah the house is sixty thousand dollars but our wage was yeah the a gallon of gas was also 68 cents like mm -hmm. Everything was cheaper, but so were the, was the wages. wages. That said, I'm not going to deny that the, the gap, the discrepancy, has grown, and it's frightening. It's scary. I don't, I don't think that people are too soft that are upset right now. Um, I don't think that. Uh, I think it would be foolish and naive for for me to sit here and say, "Oh yeah, it's always been hard." Like, yeah, people have always had to stretch and make it happen, but I don't think that. I think there's a problem yeah and I, and I don't know what the answer is um you know am i answering the question yeah no i, th I think you are because it's such a difficult qu question to answer in 10 seconds or yeah. even even you know or a whole hour i think these people can just go on and on about this but there are charts about the graphs of income disparities between you know the 80s and 90s and today where incomes average incomes have steadily grown while where housing prices have gone up banana style for right? sure the trajectory has been like this and so people just can't afford uh to get into the housing market so. yeah and, and i don't know i don't know there has to be a correction at some point i believe yeah. that mm -hmm. and how and what that looks like i don't know mm -hmm. because if wages increase well the price of everything is going to go it's going to be inflation all over right right so you know and if there's a to bring houses down to an affordability standpoint for a lot of these uh, wages that we're talking about would be a massive crash. Extremely, extremely, yeah. Right, so I don't know how Over. this thing settles out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, yeah. The, we in New York City, and I'm sure you and like Aspen and Bell guys and any big ski town that are, that are you know, they cater to more of the upper tier of the buyers. Sometimes I, I do feel guilty that we are somewhat insulated from mm -hmm. 
the buyers that really need to be, you know, that want to buy a house and they just can't. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate. And, you know, that leads me to my second question, which is, you know, again, Ski Town, is there an affordability housing crisis in Tahoe? Uh, meaning, you know, typical middle class workers, and we're not talking about lifties, you know, yeah. ski bums, yeah. but just like you know, locals that you know, whether they run their own business, yep. someone like you, you know, is it potentially like you? Like, do you feel like it's it's just that much harder for them to get into the housing market as well in Tahoe? Yes, and th- this you're really nailing down now on the thing that I'm really passionate about and pay attention to, mm-hmm. right? Is I made the comment earlier, and I kind of made it tongue in cheek, but I meant it. Like, hey, if you want to buy a house as a ski patroller. Let's yeah. Let's shift away from right. We get it. I mean, you get, they do great work. You maybe, guys do great work. Maybe, maybe you should rethink your. But if you're a bartender for six months out of the year, yeah, of course you probably you're not you don't get right. to get into the housing game. But, yeah, that's but right. what we call it, and I don't, it's not a term that is specific to Tahoe. It's the missing middle. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think the low income housing solution is actually not that hard to fix. Right, and and there's programs in place. Some of them work. Some of them don't. I, but but it's the missing middle. It's the, it's the family of two that want to have a kid and make Tahoe home that combined are making, let's say they're bringing in 150 grand a year, okay? Decent salary, sure. no matter where you are. Sure. But you're never going to buy a house. Yeah. And those are the members of the community that are really making the community go around. The restaurant owners, the, right. the local business, the, the, the hardware store, whoever, That's right? right? Yeah. That makes a town a town. That's right. And that is something that is a huge problem. I don't see enough programs focused, uh, whether it be government subsidies, fundings, uh, exemptions to, to zoning laws, to to really cater to that missing middle. Yeah. Um, I've seen Whistler, the little bit I know, uh, when I was living up there that they started to do with the Olympics coming, they've done a really good job of putting programs in place to turn that housing inventory over. It can oh, appreciate so much. Uh-huh. You have to qualify for a certain income. Right. You can own it for however long, but you can only resell it at a certain amount of appreciation. Interesting. So it keeps that inventory of those families coming in and, mm. and being able to have a home, spread their wings, maybe accrue some wealth, and then move on. To the mm, I see. Yeah, that's a good program for for someone that are that yeah you just mentioned like basically people your peers that live full live and work there full yeah. time. Yeah, and and like there's a there's a massive project going in right on the corner of my neighborhood and our whole entire neighborhood is opposed to it because it's catering to the wrong workforce Hmm. it's not catering to the people that actually need to be in the town making the town go around yeah and it's it's because there isn't the the funding isn't there for that that metric of person, right? Because they see, okay, well, well if we it combine 150 grand a year, most parts of the country you're super wealthy. Yeah, but in California, good luck. Maybe you're. I think we have a senator, a future senator in the making here, or uh, at least they start with the mayor first. <laughs> there's something going on right now. I really like this. Uh, what you you know your I, vision here? I just hope that there's a lot of people in these mountain towns that see it. They've identified the problem, but we keep running up against the wall on how to. How, how to make that happen. Yeah, yeah. Now let's switch gears to construction costs. Now we're, we're gonna, we talked a lot about affordable housing and, and the problems there, we get it. Now for our clients, we don't really, in New York City, we don't get to do a lot of ground up renovation work. The developers do that, but our clients are renovating the one unit in a high rise, right? So right. for you guys, what 
when you have a buyer come in and and I know Tahoe being an older town, there's a yeah. lot of older homes that probably need to be demoed or completely yep. gutted. Yep. What are the construction costs like right right now? What, have you worked on any new development sites yep. and land sites? Yep and uh, dealt with any uh, restrictions with zoning and architects and things of that nature. So, you know, what, what's that scene like today? Um, it's, it's intensive. Um, there's a lot to navigate. Mm -hmm. um, Tahoe, uh, you know, I was just talking about this last night with, with some of the guys from the Hamptons and, and different areas. Think of a lot of the restrictions that we deal with, same as like Coastal Commission type stuff. It's a strong environmental, um, laws that you have to navigate right. and like Aspen to. Too, yeah. yeah yeah which is great all for it uh, my wife is an engineer architect and planner that's her business so i'm in uh, very been, strong been fortunate to be involved with some of these projects so i have a pretty good take on it um construction costs right now just to break it down uh you're not building anything under 600 dollars a square foot wow that's entry level oh goodness basic bones whatever yeah. um and then from there if you want to do what most consumers, if you see on social media or whatever, sort of mountain modern, contemporary, imperfect, smooth sheetrock, you know, kind of like what's happening, you're going really quickly up to 800 bucks a square foot. Wow. Um, and then if you want to go luxury, luxury, sky's the limit. Yeah, sure. Right? Um, so yeah, navigating that, uh, the build cost is difficult. You did mention, you know, Tahoe, the majority of the homes in Tahoe that were built in abundance were probably early to mid 70s they're at the end of their life cycle they need renovations yeah. they need improvements yeah. and there's a lot there's a lot to navigate there mm -hmm. um in the tahoe basin we have what's called the trpa tahoe regional planning association uh you're limited to what you can do a percentage of your lot is limited to how much you can build on it the square footage having to figure out how that coincides with different california zoning laws that are now from uh, allowing ADUs, accessory dwelling units, which law supersedes other laws. Mm. There's a lot of navigation, but construction costs as a whole um, continues to go up. So, so six hundred to thousand a foot for for basic construction work. Yeah. So a thousand square foot house can be anywhere from six hundred thousand to a million dollars just to start. That's just the construction costs, and then construction costs, and then yeah. yeah, build in you know the cost of acquiring lot. Yep. Carrying costs. It's, That's right. Starts adding up real quick. Yeah, it does, yeah. It, it, it's uh, it, it's it's almost uh, almost like New York City. It's, yeah, it's, it's believe it or not, you know, highly people desirable think, locations. People think New York City is the most expensive city in the world, but it, in actuality, if you want to build something, it, it's the ski towns and it's the it's the San Diego's, the yeah. coastal coastal towns, and yeah, yeah, all of that. So it's it's a pretty interesting misconception that people have. The interest rates right now are, you know. Uh, all-time highs so what are your buyers, buyers saying are they mostly cash are they financing and uh, what do you think the forecast for 2024 Ooh, um, you know it's, it's it's interesting I've talked to a lot of agents as as have you sure uh, you read the news you look you look at the headlines and and you know things aren't looking great uh, that said I've represented the majority of my deals this year have all been buyers mm -hmm. um, and I talked to other agents and yeah, people are down maybe a little bit, but they're still meeting their projections. So it's sort of, there's a mixed message out there. I think the agents that are doing well are still seeing people buy homes. Sure. Um, and I think I think that the, I actually think now is a good time to buy. Yeah. Um, if you can, if you can stretch that interest rate and that pain until things correct, 
Um, I think the buyers now, at least in my market, have more negotiation and more power than they've had in the last three to four years. Um, and I think the buyers that are still in the game recognize that yeah. and they're leveraging that. Yeah. And I'm seeing it in every transaction. Mm -hmm. um, the, would you say the majority of your buyers are financing in this market? Yeah, they, they are. are. Okay. They are. And, and it, I had a Tahoe saw a long cash run for quite a while. I think the people still left in the game, if you will, um, are savvy enough and they're wanting to sit on their cash position mm -hmm. and they can endure that pain, so to speak, of the high interest rate, knowing that there's going to be a correction at some point. Mm -hmm. um, and I think they're willing to take that risk for 12 months to two years. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be at least 12 months before any interest rates correct, personally. Uh, kind of going into the second part of your question in 2024. I do things, I do in my market see things slowing down. Um, just with COVID, we got hit so hard. So many properties have injection. changed. Injection, yeah. A huge injection. The money that came in during COVID was real. Yeah. This isn't 2008. This isn't no. leveraged purchases. This isn't, this is this is tech money. These are Silicon people cashing out. Money. Yeah. yeah. People cashing out their Google stock that they got 30 years or 20 years ago, you know, and buying things cash in there. Where, what else are they going to do with that money if they pull it out? Where are they going right. to go with it? That's right. So it's parked there for a while. Mm -hmm. And I, I see inventory. I just see things pausing a little bit through 2024. Okay. Uh, I think there's a lot of other environmental factors going on with the uncertainty in the economy, with an upcoming election, wars around the world. There is always uncertainty, right? There, there's always uncertainty. You want to find a reason to be uncertain in this world. There, You can find, you can find it. Just, just like we're talking about, you know, negativity on social media. That's right. You can find it. Um, but I just, we've been on such a good run for so long that I think things will normalize next year. Or they're already starting to normalize. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I like the normal pace. Good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> it gives you more time to be on your bike and, uh, well, and it gives us more time <laughs> as agents to, to properly transact. Yeah. Yeah. You know, rather yeah, than that's true. be rushed and have to run to another client or can't talk to them on the phone, talk to them on the phone on a timely or, basis. Or miss or, something, God forbid, yeah, in sure. a transaction. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. For, you know, just uh, the last couple of questions, I really find that small towns are interesting. Everyone knows each other. They know, you know, you might know this one person, but it's obviously a one degree separation from yeah. that person. So what I found fascinating in other case studies of towns that I go to, I go to Vail a lot. It seems like everyone has their real estate license. Every ski instructor, you know, they have their kids and they have their real estate license to get to their parents or yeah. uh, the lifties have a license or yeah. the, the local waiter has a license. How do you differentiate yourself from that that environment and that in that competitiveness, yeah. uh, because obviously everybody wants to do deals, yeah. right? Yeah, um, it's it's simple. You know, I, I treat it like a job. Yeah, um, I legitimately clock my hours and my time. Oh, do you really? Um, to hold myself accountable. Interesting, um, because I think real estate's one of those things where people think it's a side hustle and they go, "Oh, I can make two two and a half to three percent on a transaction oh, i just made 30 grand whatever yeah it's not really it's that. not like that it's ever, not yeah. like that <laughs> at all but yeah and um you know when i started selling real estate uh you kind of asked this earlier and i didn't really answer it but kind of looping a bunch of questions sure. together the reason why i was able to make it work is because i had no other options mm. i knew that if i wanted to be i put where i wanted to live in my lifestyle above my work 
and the work backfilled the lifestyle what I wanted. And I either had to make that work or I would, or Tahoe chewed me up and spit me out. Mm-hmm. I was literally collecting unemployment, mm. had zero income, and my back was against the wall. And I think that there's a lot of types of people, um, successful agents, that you get successful in this business by putting in the work and putting in the time. It's not a side hustle. Yeah, you can carry your license, but you, those people come and go. Yep. Right? Yep. Those of us that dedicate the time, come on podcasts, meet awesome agents from across the country, develop these networks, maintain them, and treat the treat this job like a profession and with good integrity for your clients and and who you represent. That's that's how you make it that's work. How you make it work. Yeah. yeah. Great answer. Great answer. Yeah. Right. The true hustlers. Yeah. I mean, it. It. Don't get me wrong. I've done a lot of different jobs if this is not a hard job physically it's not the restaurant business and when you're walking two months three miles a night seven days yeah, a week or it's not these guys out here running these cranes that i'm watching you know build yeah, san sure. diego mm-hmm. um but it, it's a job it requires work it requires patience it requires risk it requires four hours attention it, it it requires a tremendous amount of financial investment mm-hmm. that um i think a lot of people don't realize how much money as agents, we put into our businesses. Yeah, sure. Well, give us some advice. When we gonna talked about twenty twenty four earlier, knowing what you know, the clients that you currently represent, and going into twenty twenty four, what do you tell them to manage and set their expectations? Yeah, I think my, my friend Kyle Blackman said this best. Re- real estate business is not necessarily a business where we just sell homes. Mm. We're in the management of expectations business uh-huh right yeah. so what are you telling your clients today and going to next year to manage and set their expectations so that you as a obviously as the advisor you get to set the tone you know how they're going to they should think about going into uh next year so this is this is kind of the the magic wand of our business i would say is is constantly we're we're being asked uh crystal ball questions yeah right of course and i kind of if I'm interpreting what you're asking, it's it's sort of where you think things are headed and how you translate it. And how you translate it to your clients. That's right. Yeah. How are you managing their expectations? Some people, the buyers love to think optimistically about sure. how the market's going to fall, right? Sure. We're gonna get 30% off. We're gonna get 50% off. There's yeah. blood in the water. That market's been that house has been on the market for yeah. 300 days, not knowing that the seller is a billionaire and does not care. Right. You know? right. So yeah. So tell me, you, you, what are you, how do you expect? It? Gosh, this is really got some good questions because this to me is where we as agents earn earn our living, earn our keep, if, if you will. That's right. Um, I think the the biggest thing that I'm telling my my clients right now, buyers in particular, is we've seen the peak. We're we're mm-hmm. on we're on the backslide of that. Interesting. It's in my market. I'm sitting in my market. Mm-hmm. It's not going to do this. Yeah. It's kind of doing this, if you will. Um, I'm really fortunate, as I think New York City and New York in general is probably the same. One of the things I tell my buyers in my market is, listen, there's 35 million people in California or something, right? I don't, I don't know, but it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. There's one Lake Tahoe. There's 72 miles of shoreline. Half of it's built. And where it's built, you cannot build anything new unless you retire a unit out of the basin. Oh. 
So you have an, an unlimited demand, unlimited demand yeah. and, an, and a very small supply, and that will never change. So I feel very fortunate to work in a market like that, where it is truly physically insulated, not just mentally and emotionally, but it, it's physically insulated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm dovetailing this into, I tell my buyers, hey, you're at the peak. Don't be buying this expecting to make a windfall of cash in the next three to four years. I don't see that happening. If you're buying this, this needs to be a long-term investment, something that you're going to build memories with your families, you're going to come and enjoy. I don't think in the long term you're going to lose money on this deal ever. Um, But I'm not telling anybody that, hey, buy this now. This is a good deal. You're going to make a whole bunch of money in five years. I I think that run is over, personally. Yeah. and more more difficult is the seller conversation yeah uh, because they've seen such a prices double their memories in 2021 exactly and getting my sellers to appropriate i've lost several listings this year because i told sellers what they didn't want to hear which unfortunately was the truth i get that this house could have sold two years ago for eight hundred thousand to a million more than you than it will right now but I will not listen for that because you're going to end up making way less. And I've seen a lot of sellers, sadly, for them, go with the agents that are saying, sure, we can sell it. And now the house is sitting there for six months, eight months, and they're going the wrong direction. Uh, that's the difficult conversation. And I think as time goes on, sellers are finally starting to accept the fact that they've lost the leverage. Perhaps it will be the... Uh... The, the saying, the first love, second wife, third broker. Yeah, <laughs> something like that, yeah. you know. And it's uh, I mean, I, obviously I wanted to win those <laughs> listings, but I'm I'm I not get gonna. You you know you, the the line that I like to use is, uh, you know, Mr. Seller, as you would want your doctor to tell you the truth. Yeah. You know, I'm going to tell you the yeah. truth. Yeah. Right? And, and and I'm gonna try and get as much money for you guys as you can. Obviously. But but and it's good for all of us. <laughs> yeah. I'm not just trying to fire sell your house, but I truly believe in these numbers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult when they go the opposite direction. It's kind of feels good when you see it work out the way that you told them. You feel bad for them, but you, it's reassuring to know that as an agent that your impulse and your market knowledge and putting in that time and really knowing where it's going and talking to other agents and figuring out what's going on, that it's always good to feel validated. Yeah, that, 100%. That, that you gave the right advice. 100%. What do you have? You're a veteran agent yourself. Just to wrap up this episode, give us some advice for newer agents that are getting into the business that maybe are looking for some guidance here. Yeah. You know, what do you what do you have to say? Um, well, I, thank you for calling me a veteran agent. <laughs> I don't feel <laughs> like one, uh, but patience, endurance. Uh, not physical endurance. No, just mental <laughs> endurance. We're not hiking up a bowl. I, I tell any agent that comes into the game, I say, um, be prepared to spend a minimum of $15,000 in your business year one. Absolute minimum. What does it go into? Marketing, making mistakes, making mistakes. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you're going to, don't be afraid to spend money and try something. But more importantly, don't be afraid to pivot away from that. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. That's right. Don't stay so dedicated to something. Uh, as soon as you're convinced that it's not working, give it up. Time to go. Next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, grind. 
grind, do the work, get your face out there. You are your business. You are your brand. People want to work with you, not um, your social media posts. That's right. That's right. Not your TikTok dances, right? Yeah. And so <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that makes sense. No, that's good. But uh, you just got to do it. That's good. Yeah, I selfishly, just to wrap up the episode, I want to ask a little bit more about your hobbies, just because I'm so curious, you know, based on your Instagram and the postings you do. But you're, you're a dirt biker. You have, I've you... recently gotten into to riding moto. Yeah. Moto, yeah. Uh, I'm a huge, huge mountain biker in the summer. Mm-hmm. That's my awesome Okay, scene. so let's talk about that, too. So g- give me a little background about this, the, the downhill scene there or the enduro scene there and also your moto scene. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Um, it's so many mountain town people do the same you know, same thing, right? They boat, ski, bike, boat, ski, yeah. snowboard. Yeah. It's, it's the adrenaline offset. Back country. Yeah. yeah. And it's, um, it's love fantastic. It. Tahoe, Tahoe has hundreds of miles of trails. So what's the best, best downhill trail where you can take the bikes up on the lift? The North Star. North Star. Oh, good. Okay, North good. Star has yeah. a great, uh, um, downhill mountain biking. Uh, it makes sense. They're the, they, they also get all the park rats in the winter too. So kind of big kinda park. Yeah. yeah. And North Star is fantastic at, maximizing the terrain that they they have to work with yeah and they have a great product right i think uh, woodward is there too is it woodward's up, at, up on the summit at boreal oh boy oh, boreal. Um, that's right yeah but yeah but yeah and, the downhill scene is very good huh you it's never, it's never great gone. it's great yeah uh i was in the downhill scene for a little bit have uh, you, how do you compare it to like i don't know if it's big sky or uh snow mass or any of the other mountains it's for the biking for downhilling yeah um i the only other park i've ridden is whistler black home oh well that's the mecca that is you the can't mecca. compete you with the whistler yeah okay um yeah. but no north star's great yeah it's okay. it's they have uh some really good trails they're ex- actually expanding their trail network system it's a legit are they more technical or rollers or both they have some pretty a handful of real technical chunk trails, mm. I would like to call it. Um, they have a trail called Livewire that's pretty famous. Uh-oh. That is kind of like the answer to Whistler's A line, if you will. Okay, it's straight down, down uh, rocks, rocks. Well, tides. no, it's it's no. big, huge berms okay. and gaps. Oh, that's and features. That's, that's my that's my speed. They have another one called Gypsy that has a bunch of really cool wood features, and mm. Red Bull's coming and built some features. Oh gosh, <laughs> ramps yes. and slats, and it's cool. Oh wow! Yeah, that that's uh, that to me is a lot more interesting sometimes to talk about than affordable housing. But that's like yeah, it's it's work life balance. Yeah, it is. Uh, and then the motor scene there has what is that like? You know, it's something. It's new. I'm getting into it. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of bike did you get? I got a, a KTM 350 okay. XCF. Okay. Four stroke. So um, zero sixteen two seconds. It's it's quick. <laughs> it can be it's careful. Quick. I I grew up in a motor racing. Uh, that's my true true background. Is that right? Is, is an auto racing family. Uh, Your dad did it too. Yeah yeah yeah. My dad was one of the first people to ever go over two hundred miles an hour on top of a dragster. Wow! Did you see this? This is like this is the best factoid of the day. Yeah. Uh, what is that exactly, dragster? Uh, so quarter mile straight. Yep, sure. Uh, first one to the finish line. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's one of the best things to this day that you can watch live. Yeah, you um, got to bring earplugs. You got to bring earplugs. Yeah, it's, it's zero, your head rattle a little bit, right? They, they actually have shortened the track to a thousand feet from a quarter mile. Uh, so if you ever want to see something cool, go watch Top Hill Drag Race. Zero to 326 miles an hour in three and a half seconds and a thousand feet. Yeah. I, I, I'm from Virginia, so I've seen it. Yeah. And, uh, they, I really enjoy the burnout. Yeah, section get the rubber yeah. nice and warm and yeah. sticky. It's cool. And, yeah, it's yeah. cool. That's cool. Your dad is a badass, huh? Yeah. So my dad, my brother, <laughs> my uncle, they all have uh, world land speed records on the Bonneville oh. Salt Flats. Um, wow. 
I grew up racing go-karts all over the country. Okay, you're, you're just all, uh, you have it all. You've I've done, done a lot of stuff. You've done it all. And here I've landed in San Diego talking to you about you, you real have, estate. You have all your fingers and you're, you look great and you try your, your limbs work. So I'm, I'm slowing down now that I have a family. Yeah. It's yeah. About, it's about that. But the, so the moto trails up there are, are pretty good. So if you're a moto. They're awesome. Fanatic, that's. They're awesome. Where, it's endless. Uh, there's, but it's, it's national parks. I'm sure a lot of it is protected, right? You have a kind of designated. Yeah, trails there's the like anywhere. There's mm -hmm. places you can and can't ride, mm -hmm. um, and obviously we respect that. Mm -hmm. um, great scene of of people that are involved in the moto scene up there, um, and it's just a good time. Yeah, and it's it's. I think it's a, becoming a little bit of a natural progression. So mountain biking's gotten so popular that a lot of a lot of my friends at least are getting in the moto scene as well. It's yeah. a it's a cross pollination. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah. it's a totally different sport than, than mountain biking. Um, you get to go see more trails that you don't get to see. You get out and you get away. Cool, right. And, and it's, it's a heck of a workout. Yeah. Um, and I promise myself, I, I keep it pretty tame. You have to, I mean, have to. God forbid, 10 miles out, up, up in the backside with no yeah. cell service, you could yeah. find yourself. In and some... things can go wrong real quick on a motor. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's fun. It's fun to get out. And, <laughs> I'm jealous. Yeah. So cool. Get, get away and go see some new places. Yeah. Uh, final question. What do you think about Enduro e-mountain bikes? Whoa. I heavy bought one this year. Heavy top. Oh, I'm jealous. Yeah. I really um, want one. I, I rode it in Italy. Yeah. So. Kind of changed my, changed my perspective. At first, on I was really against it. Um, I still have my pedal bike. And I, for every e-bike ride I do, <laughs> I make myself do a pedal ride stuff. <laughs> but the e-bike rides still work out? It's a hell of a workout. You could climb if, up. If, yep. And for me, where I'm at, uh, with, with focus on my real estate business, mm -hmm. being a father, being a husband, doing all the things we do, what it's become for me is the difference between getting a ride in versus not yeah. at the time that I have. Okay. Um, so let's say if I only have one hour, well, the trails that I really want to ride from my house take me an hour just to climb to. Yeah, yeah. I can be there now in 15 minutes. Fast. So instead of going, oh, I don't know, I don't have time to ride. It's like, no, I'm, I'm going to go get this ride. Good, in. good. So it's more time on the bike. I'm a fan of them. I think in the next three years, everybody's going to be on an e-mountain bike. E-mountain bike, enduro, or downhill, both, maybe. Yeah. Uh, maybe you don't maybe need not downhill. downhill. Yeah, but yeah, for enduro. But, sure. but yeah, it's just, it's inevitable. It's wow. evolution. It's evolution wow. of the sport. Well, guys, this is uh, probably one of the most fun I've had talking about just random things and on yeah. mount about mountain life. Uh, I personally am a big mountain guy, too, so I just love talking about all this. But... Uh, please, again, follow Brandon on Instagram. I'll put it in the show notes. Brandon, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And we have a great week. Yeah. Look forward to it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate you. Awesome. All right.